All right. Chapter 17 of the story. So just a quick reminder, the story is a book that we've been working our way through. It's basically the Bible um, written together chronologically. We're in chapter 17, the thick of the Old Testament. Now, I have to tell you that I have not looked forward to sharing information um, as much as I've looked forward to this morning in, in a long, long time. It may be really boring for you, but I'm excited about it. Um, and, and the reason is because I love to give good news. I love to get to be the one when there's good news. I, I love to get to tell somebody something exciting. And, and this is just a whole pile of good news for me. Um, when the Bible talks about the story of God's redemptive work, it uses the word gospel. Um, it was translated gospel, which is uh, uh, God's spell in, in old English, which means good tale or good news. So when, when people try to sum up the message of the Bible, they, they call it good news, and it's because of things like today. So let me uh, quick walk through uh, kind of God's redemptive story. Uh, God is trying to build a nation, and he really wants two things from his nation. The nation's called Israel. I, I want you to follow me. I want, I want you to love me only, no other gods, just, just me. And I want you to live my way, not like all these other nations that are doing all kinds of crazy, dangerous stuff. And if you do that, I'm going to take good care of you while they rebel, kind of slowly move further and further away from God. And so division comes into their kingdom because when we move away from God, things just get ugly and divisive. And so it splits up into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And God sends prophets. This is over a couple hundred years, like 38 kings are leading this. Um, through these a couple hundred years, and God keeps sending these prophets to say the same thing. The Assyrian army up in the north is going to destroy Israel and eventually Judah, and you're going to be scattered if you don't get your life together. So return to God and follow his ways, and he will take good care of you. If you don't, you will be destroyed. And, and so the Old Testament is just this rhythm of kind of Please don't. Please just stop what you're doing and return to God. And then they kind of do. And then they fade. And then they say, please don't. And then there's a little bit of judgment and a little bit of, of adversity. And they return to God. And, but it just, here, here's what it kind of does. Okay, it gets the highs get lower, the lows get lower, until eventually it collapses. And, and so we're dealing in chapter 17 with basically the collapse where God finally steps in. But what scripture reminds us is that is that when God steps in and issues judgment, it's always after all his other options have been exhausted and there's always the promise of redemption. So God's punishments even are redemptive in nature. They're not a vengeance. They're not a well I'll show you. They're redemptive. They're ultimately to come back around to good. So that's what we're going to see today. I'm going to read to you from straight out of the Bible. You can follow along in a Bible in front of you, or I will give you um, the, the page of the story if, if you have the storybook. So we're going to start in Second Chronicles 33. It's on page 231 of the story. And this is one of the many kings in 
and his name was Manasseh. Now, just a quick background of how the Bible's put together. Um, the books of First and Second Kings and First of Second Chronicles are essentially parallel. They tell the same story, um, sometimes with some slight variance, some additional material, things like that. So this is found both in Second Kings and Second Chronicles. I'm going to read the one from from Second Chronicles. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So from like 12 to 67. He's the king in Jerusalem, southern part of the kingdom. Sounds strange to have a 12-year-old king, but it's not all that uncommon in history. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Now, uh, when, when God looked at the Israelite people, they were wandering. He said, I'm going to drive out all these nations and give you the promised land. And all these nations, the Canaanites and such, were doing all these kinds of detestable things, worshiping idols, all sorts of crazy stuff. Don't do what they do. I'm going to give you their land. You don't do what they do. Well, here we see they did what they did. He rebuilt high places. His father Hezekiah had demolished. High places were shrines on mountaintops and things like that to other gods. He also erected altars to the Baals, almost interchangeable with like Satan. And he made it Asherah poles. Now Asherah was the goddess of fertility and many of the pagan nations would put these poles in the ground um, calling out to the god Asherah for good... um, of fertility for babies and things like that. So they're clearly calling on other gods for things. And he bowed down to all starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. So it would be like someone saying, I want to practice witchcraft... But I want to go into a church and practice it under the cross. Okay, he moved these pagan altars into the temple. Like he didn't even honor God as a God. He got his stuff out and moved other God's stuff into the temple. So this guy's like, like exploiting God in any way that he can. Total irreverence. Verse 6. He sacrificed his children in the fire. Now, in 2 Kings it says he sacrificed his son. In 2 Chronicles it says it's sons and daughters. So let's, let's get our arms around King Manasseh here. This was a man who murdered his children by throwing them in the fire. So... Let's get out of the mindset of like watching a movie. This is real people. There was really a mom who had to watch this. There were really kids who had to endure this. In order to worship a false god, he did this to his own children. How evil is that? He practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, consulted mediums, and spiritists 
He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the image he had made. He made his own idols and put them in God's temple. Manasseh led Judah and the people of Israel astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. In other words, the students got better than the teachers or worse than the teachers. God said, don't do the things that these other nations do. Well, Manasseh led the Israelites in such a way that not only were they doing all those things, they were doing them worse. They were worse than the nations God feared that they would get mixed up with. So, let's picture Manasseh standing here. The man that we just learned did all of these things, found ways to rebel against God, sacrificed his own children, just pure evil. And we see the real guy standing there. Probably looked a lot like Ben Roethlisberger. And you just look at him and just... I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes you see people, pictures of people um, on, on TV, and you hear what they've done, and it's just, ugh. That's the guy that did all of that. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. So now, after all the prophecies and all the warnings, justice is brought to Manasseh. He's captured, and now he's going to prison. Anybody feel bad for him? I mean, is there any way that we could come up with any kind of compassion for a guy who did all of those things and now he got caught? He was brought to justice and now he's going to be a prisoner and he's being humiliated in front of everybody. Nobody feels bad for him. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. So, now that he's in prison, he finds the Lord. Right? Because that's what you do. He got caught. He's in trouble. And so now, in his desperation, he calls out to God. Now, this, I mean, it, 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 no pun intended, it reads like a book. This is just what everybody does when they get caught. The guy who murdered his children got caught and now it's, oh God, I don't want to be in prison. Would you please help me? I believe in you. <clears throat> and when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. I'm going to talk about a truckload of grace. It says God was moved, and that just that translated as it means to go from here to there. The prayer of Manasseh moved 
changed the heart of God, moved him from here to there. All of a sudden, all that mattered to God was the condition of Manasseh's heart right then and there. It wasn't about his past. It wasn't about those moments when he threw real kids into the fire. Or when he cleared out the temple and brought in gods that he had made with his hands. Now, many people look at the God of the Old Testament and see this wrathful, angry disapproving, unpleasable God. But we see stories like this all over the place of compassion and mercy to the point that doesn't even make sense because that doesn't even make sense. Like if a parent did that, I'd say, no, you're enabling, right? Now, focus on that. At that moment, all God cared about was where Manasseh's heart was at that moment. And, and we bring all sorts of sins in here this morning. I mean, I don't know your past. I know my past. I know the things that, that, that I have done and continue to struggle with. And, and there are all sorts, of, um, all, all sorts of, of things that I know that many of you struggle with because you tell me guilt from your past, past decisions that you've made, the stuff that weighs us down. My guess is you've never thrown your children in the fire as an act of worship of another god. You've probably never carved an idol out, cleared out the cross and set it in its place in a church building. But even if you had, what we see here is evidence in Scripture that God is concerned about your heart right now. And when we call out to him, he listens. And God is for us. And God is merciful. So it doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where is your heart right now? And that's good news for us because we're messy people. Second story. You saw on the screen, and if you've read it, you've read in the chapter this week, that there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah was with the people for a long, long time. Uh, I want to suggest that you read the book of Jeremiah. There are some sections that you're going to have to fight through because it gets a little monotonous. Uh, but some great stories in Jeremiah, one of which is um, the, the story of the potter's house. Now, to get us in the mood for this story, uh, Marcus prepared a little clip of, of him and his son, Paul. So, take a look. Like a snowman? Like a snowman? You want to make a red snowman? Like a box. Like a box. There he is. Oh no! What did you do to the snowman? We're trying to fix it. Let's try to fix the snowman. No! No! Don't hurt the snowman! You crashed him! You crashed him, you sure did. Alright, can you leave the snowman alone? Ah! 
Now that we're all in a squashy kind of Play-Doh mood, I'm going to turn to Jeremiah, maybe, and read the story of the potter's house. And this is just one of those. So let me, a little background to this story. And it's, I love, this is truly one of the most meaningful passages in the whole Bible, I think. Um, God has declared judgment again. Okay, now you know what, it's time. From the north, they're going to sweep down, and, and, and basically there's a point where he says, you're a weed, and I'm mowing the grass. Um, and so Jeremiah tells this to the, to the Israelites, and they say, well, hey, you know what? We might as well live it up, because if God decreed this, if God said this, we can't stop it from happening anyway. So they're blowing off the prophetic message of Jeremiah by saying, well, even if that's true, we're hosed, so might as well just keep doing what we're doing. God says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from this clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. So they're at this potter's wheel, and... The pot that they're making is all messed up, so the potter just, you know, blah, 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 and, and reshapes it because it's like this, you know, it's fresh clay. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel, if at any time... I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted or torn down and destroyed. And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on, that, on it the disaster that I had planned. If at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted... And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, God's point to Jeremiah. You've never been so good that you can't wreck it. But more importantly, you've never been so bad that God can't reshape it. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, as you sit there this morning, even if God was, ab- even if God was so mad that he was about to drop the hammer, what's he say? Even if I decree judgment against someone, in the middle of it, if they just repent. Now, repent doesn't mean live perfect. Repent means they have a change of heart. Manasseh, bound with a hook in his nose and with shackles, has this heart change, and God said, okay, we can work with this. So no matter what you've done, God is looking to your heart right now. 
And if you can say to yourself, you know what, God, I want to get this right. That's all God needs. One more story. Love this story. I don't understand it all, but I love it. The book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was the other prophet that was in the story this week. And this is called The Valley of Dry Bones. There are kids' songs written about this. Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air, then bones and bones and dry bones. I'm not going to sing it because I don't know it, and I wouldn't even if I did. wouldn't sing it even if I did. Okay. The hand of the Lord was on me, this is Ezekiel talking, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and said to me in the middle of the valley, and set me in the middle of the valley, sorry, it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. They'd been you know, dead for a long time. Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said, Prophesy to these bones and say, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and, I will come to, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones are clamoring together. The bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and the tendons, the flesh appeared on them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Uh, synonymous uh, Hebrew word was spirit. Then he said to me, prophesy to the spirit or the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath or spirit, come from the winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, many people, or my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declared the Lord. Now, Theologians are all over the spectrum of how far you apply this, but here's God's point. Even when something is dead, he is still sovereign and can do anything. He says, even though this nation is dead and destroyed, I will redeem it. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the thick of the Old Testament, the wrathful God, the God of judgment and justice, has still peppered his story full of examples of himself as the Redeemer God who can redeem anything. Come on up, Michael Kerr. It's my friend Michael Kerr. Jesus, on the scene a couple hundred years later, same kind of God, 
tells this very famous story that is right out of the stuff that we've been reading all day. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Thanks, Michael. (coughs) So, story of the prodigal son. The son blows everything he's got, wastes the father's money. He's far, far, far away, and he decides, I need to go back home. Maybe my dad will take me back. The father sees him a long way off and runs and embraces him and kisses him and welcomes him back in no matter how far you are. It's a message all through scripture. The thread of God's redemptive story, no matter how far you are, God still has plans for you. God is more concerned about where your heart is right now than anything you've done in your past. And your journey with God begins when you can fully receive that. Now the Bible is very, very clear that this was all paid for by Jesus on the cross. Instead of worrying about you being good enough, Jesus paid the price for every sin, past, present, and future. He took that penalty on the cross so that God can just use you right now because you were forgiven years ago. Through faith in that, your slate is wiped clean, the dry bones are living again, and you can enjoy your friendship with God. Two quick points of application. One is that you got to receive this yourself. Too many people, wrecked by guilt, end up doing nothing with God because we can't see God as for us because of our past. But the second thing is, this is our example on how to treat others. Jesus lived that out. God's character comes through in Scripture. And we have to take that on as our own character. So if you're a follower of Jesus, not only do you receive his grace, but you have to give it. No human being is too far gone. And it's up to us to be that voice in the world, first and foremost, by the way we act and by the way we treat people. So... 
truckload of grace, all good news. We can leave today knowing that God is for us and that God is with us. And no matter where we are, all that matters is the condition of our heart, how we're connecting with God. We're going to do one more song. I'm going to invite you to stand. And during this song, if you have anything that you want to pray about, just come on up. I'll hang out up there up front. And um, yeah, just come on up. Father, thank you for your grace. It is amazing. doesn't even make sense. But we need it. I'm at the front of the line. We need your grace every day. You are the Redeemer God, and we're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.